0: financial stewardship this lesson is designed to teach us the importance of honoring god with our tithes offerings and giving this message also aims at answering some of the common questions like should my tithe be given to the local church is it all right to support other christian ministries with my giving should i give financially to help someone in need and how can i guard myself from being financially manipulated and exploited by preachers be blessed you have your bible hold it high up in the air say this bold, loud and strong with me this is God's word this is God speaking to me I am who God says I am I can do what God says I can do I will become everything God has promised I'm saved healed delivered redeemed I am blessed victorious prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His Word, I believe His Word, and I live by His Word. Christ is my Master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. We've been in a series that we are calling Foundations. And uh, we've been covering several different subjects, topics, or themes um, that we uh, are looking at. We say are very foundational for any person to become a disciple of Jesus. Today is lesson number 13, the second last one. And we want to talk about financial stewardship. Financial stewardship. Let's begin just by talking about that word stewardship that we find in the Bible, in the New Testament. What is the, what is the meaning of that word steward? Uh, and uh, the New Testament tells us, teaches us that all of us are stewards of God. We are stewards of the resources God has given to us. For instance, we can look at these two scriptures in First Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of God and as stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's saying, when you look at us, you know, we are really stewards of the mysteries of God, of the truth that God has given to us. So you are a steward of the truth that God's given to you. So as you come to church and you're learning the truth, you're really becoming a steward before God of all the truth that's imparted to you. In First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter writes, he says, As every man has received the gift, so minister it to one another. Meaning use it to serve one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what he's saying is, you know, all of us have been given different gifts. And as you receive the gift, use it as a good steward. So you are a steward of the gifts and talents and abilities God has given you. Each one of us are. And we are all given different gifts, resources and all of that. But we are stewards of it. Now this word steward that you find in the New Testament simply means the manager of a household, of an estate. So imagine there's a, uh, a man who has a big estate, he's got many servants, many bungalows, uh, lots of things going on, and he appoints somebody as the one to manage everything for him. That man is a steward. So steward simply means to be a manager, somebody who is put in charge of something else, something that is uh, not his own. He's made responsible for it. And that's what we get the English word stewardship. That means you are fulfilling this role of being a steward. So all of us are. Stewards. Okay, lift your hand up and say, I'm a steward. Now turn to your neighbor and say, bring me the food. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> in, in modern English, a steward means something else. But, but Bible, the Bible simply means you're a manager. God's put you in charge of certain things. He's entrusted you with gifts, with resources, uh, money, opportunities, knowledge. Uh, several things in life, but everything God's given you, you're a steward of. Now, many of us work um, in the corporate world, and you know, when we all start, we start off entry level, just doing all the menial work, but then at some point, you kind of move up the ladder and, and you become some sort of a manager. Uh, maybe you become a director, a president, a vice president, regional manager, whatever. You go into that place, and at that point, you are really a steward. The organization now entrusts you with people, with certain money, lots of resources to back you up, and says, meet these objectives. I mean, do these things. We are going after these goals. We want you to help us get there. Now, you are really a steward at that point of all this that's been entrusted to you. It's not your organization. You don't own it. But yet... So much has been put into your hands and you take the call on so many things. In the New Testament, when you look at the, the role of a steward, what should the steward do? Here are some things the steward of a household must ensure. He must, of course, ensure that things are functioning pro- properly. Everything must be in order. Can't get out of order. Can't just run haphazardly. Things must be profitable. Profitable. You're not put in there so that you just spend everything and at the end of it, nothing's left. No. You're put in there to make sure that whatever is there increases. You increase it. You make it profitable. That's responsibility of a steward. The steward must also ensure that everything is accounted for. So the, man, the, the owner can come to the steward and say, okay, what's happening with the people? What's happening with the money? Or in your organization, you may have to send a daily report or a weekly report or a monthly report or a quarterly report, Whatever. Meaning you're accounting for something that has been put into your trust. You're reporting what's happening to somebody above you. Basically reporting back to your organization saying, this is what's happening. If things aren't going right, they're going to hold you responsible. Can't get away with it. So you have to report. You're accounted. You have to account for what's going on. You must protect and safeguard what's in your care. Same thing in business. It's not like, you know, you let your competition take over. You're, you're protecting what's, ha- what's going on, what's been entrusted to your care. And also, a steward must ensure continuity. In fact, in the Bible, it was a steward who's responsible to train up the, the, the owner's children, make sure they grow up to be proper heirs of the estate in order that there's continuity in what's happening. So also, uh, in, in the real world, in the, in the corporate world, you have to ensure that things go on. So these are responsibilities of a steward. And as I want you to look at everything God's given you from the light of this. Am I using what God has entrusted to me in this manner? Am I using my resources so that they're all going functioning properly? Am I making sure that what God's given to me is multiplying? It's increasing. It's actually profitable for the purpose of God. Am I accounting for things? Am I being accountable to God, in the way I'm using my resources and what's given to me? Am I protecting what God's given me? I'm safeguarding and not letting it go wasted. Am I ensuring continuity? Am I able to pass on and multiply what God's given to me? Look at what God's given to you as a steward because you are a steward of the resources God's given you. Amen? Here are some characteristics of a good steward as Jesus taught us. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, Paul says, a steward First of all, must be faithful. Now, in the corporate world, we don't use the word faithful. We use the word like, we use words like alignment to objectives. Obviously, alignment to corporate strategy. In other words, we're saying, look, listen, you got to be in line with where this organization is going. You can't get in there and just use all the resources. Oh, hallelujah, let's, let me just go do something else. You'll be shown the door the next day. Whatever you do with all the resources, it must be in alignment with the that mission, vision and mission of your organization. That's being faithful. Amen? So also, in the things of God. It's, you've got to be faithful. Be committed to God's purpose, God's direction. Whatever you're serving, you have to serve faithfully. In Luke 16 verses 1 to 12 Jesus gave the story of the unjust steward. He was a man who kind of totally mismanaged everything. He was really bad in what was entrusted to him. So when he realized that his his master had found out that really he was messing things up. And he was about to lose his job. Here's what he does. He calls all those people who owed his master money. And he reduced their level of debt. He did it with the intent that once he lost his job, at least they would take care of him. Alright? This is the story. And out of that story, Jesus gives us three very important lessons on stewardship. Now, Jesus, interestingly, commends the unjust steward. For what? Not for his mismanagement of what was entrusted to him, but for the fact that he had foresight, that he knew how to use money... take care of his future. He said, so also you use money to make yourself friends. Use money to build friendship so that they will be there to help you. He said that. And then he gave us three important lessons on stewardship. Number one, he said, this is in Luke 16. He said, be faithful in little things. If you cannot manage little things, you will not be put in charge of bigger things. That is true in the kingdom of God and that is true in the world as well. Amen? So like, why am I not getting my promotion? Okay, How are you managing what you have right now? Because if you're not faithful in little things, you will not be entrusted with bigger things. Secondly, Jesus said, be faithful in money then God will entrust you with true riches. Now, this is something we all find it hard to comprehend. But nevertheless, it's in the Bible. Jesus said it. He said, if you know how to handle your money, then God will entrust you with true riches. So, pastor, I'm very spiritual. I don't touch money. Listen, if you want to qualify to handle true riches, better touch it. Handle it. Just use it right. Because God sees that if you will handle your money correctly, He can entrust you with handling the true riches of His kingdom. Amen? So God, I thought that was unrighteous mammon. Yeah, if God can see you faithful in handling unrighteous mammon, then He can see that you'll be faithful in handling righteous riches. True riches third lesson Jesus gave us was this. He said, if you are faithful in what is another man's, then you will be given what is your own. See, the attitude you carry into your workplace, when you're working for somebody else, is very important. Ah man, this is my boss and I don't like him, so I'm not going to... Listen, listen, listen. Jesus said, if you are faithful in what is another man's, you will be given your I'm waiting to start my own company. That's wonderful. How are you handling what is another man's right now? But that's a biblical principle. If you're faithful in what is another man's, you'll be entrusted with what is your own. Another important quality of of being a good steward is being wise. You need to handle things wisely. So having understood these, these, these basic thoughts on stewardship, on being a steward, I want to focus in on, being a fin- on financial stewardship, an important part of our life as, as a believer, as Christians. And just want to talk about these things and close off by answering some common questions that people have on this subject. Now first of all, let's begin by understanding that God does bless us financially and materially. Amen? See, some of us, we don't like to talk about money, but still we ask people to give money. It doesn't add up. So don't talk about money, but please give money. Listen, the Bible talks about money, and God is the one who blesses us with it. Amen? So there's nothing wrong in asking God to bless you financially. Nothing wrong in believing that God will increase you financially and materially. Look at some scriptures. I'm just giving some here, not all of them. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, this is in the Old Testament. The Lord says, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. He says, Remember the Lord your God, because it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant that He swore to your fathers. So He says, It is God who gives us the power to get wealth. Remember that. That's a blessing that comes from God. He empowers you to get wealth. And it's part of His covenant. God, in order to establish His covenant, empowers you to get wealth. And if this was part of the old covenant and the new covenant is better than the old, I think it would just be more. That God will double His empowerment upon His people to get wealth. So that as part of His covenant with them. Look at Psalm 1 verse 3. You and I know it, it says, blessed is a man who fears God, and, uh, who delights in his, in his word. Uh, he says, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He will bring his fruit and fruit its season, His leaf will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. So that's in the Bible. Now, religious thinking is like this. If you love God, you won't have anything in life. You just barely make it through. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, if you love God, you fear God, you'll be like this tree planted by the rivers of water. You will prosper. Whatever you do will prosper and so on. Psalm 112 verses 1, 2 and 3 once again says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears God. It says his children will be mighty on the earth. And it says wealth and riches will be in his house. It's part of the blessing. When you come over into the New Testament, I'll just quote one verse here, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul writes there, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to become proud, not to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God wants me to enjoy? Yeah, that's your verse there. He gives you richly all things to enjoy. He gives us richly. So God's a giving God. He gives to all. He gives liberally. He gives us richly to enjoy. So it is true that God does bless his people materially. But then we need to keep everything in perspective. Firstly, you must understand that material blessings does not make me better than other people. Amen? Just because I am blessed materially doesn't make me better than somebody else. Because there are people... Who may not have much, but James says, James 2, they are rich in faith toward God. So I cannot use my material blessings as an indicator of my spiritual well-being. Because there are people who may not have much, but they have strong faith in God. And they love God and they honor God uh, probably much more than those who do have a lot. So material blessings don't make me better than others. And, and this is very important. The more I have, the greater is my responsibility. To be a good steward of what God's given me. Amen? The more God's given you, the more accountable you have to be. To whom much is given, much is. So if God's blessed you, materially, it's great. But remember, you have to be even that much more accountable to God. You know, sometimes people think of leadership as, wow, I want, to be on, I want to be a leader. It's wonderful. It's all that glamour. You know, the lights are shining on him. Everybody's listening. Wonderful. But I don't look at leadership like that. I look at leadership as a great sacrifice. You cannot be a leader if you're not willing to sacrifice twice, thrice, ten times more as the people that you're serving. Leadership is sacrifice. Because you don't know the sleepless nights. You don't know the tensions. You don't know the demands that are put on the person who's in that place of leadership. People only see the glamour. Oh, Sunday morning, get to speak to all of us and shout on the mic and all that. That's only 45 minutes of my life. But you don't know what happens the remaining hours. So leadership really is a great sacrifice. If anybody's willing to get up for leadership, first thing, be prepared for sacrifice. If you're not willing for sacrifice, don't come for leadership. Amen? And that's the same with being rich in this world. If God's blessed you and you're asking God to bless you, be ready for great responsibility. Amen? Because the more you have, the more responsible you have to be for all that God gives you. The more responsible you have to be. The, more, uh, the better a steward you have to be of what God's entrusted to you. So why do we give to God? Now giving, let me say, just back up. Giving is an expression of my financial stewardship. So part of me being a good steward of all that God's given me is giving. As I give, as I release, as I let go of part of what God has blessed me with financially and materially. That's an expression of me being a good steward. So let's talk about the giving aspect. Why do we give? Three simple reasons. One, giving is an act of worship. I'm not going to read all the verses there. You could get off um, of a website and read it. Psalm 96 verse 8. It says, worship God. We w- worship. Bring an offering. Worship Him with our offering. So giving is an act of we worship God with song, we worship God with praise, we worship God with a holy lifestyle, but we also worship God with our giving. It's an expression of us saying, God, I love you, I honor you, I adore you, I worship you with my giving. Of what He has given to us, we give to Him, is what First Chronicles 29, uh, 10 onwards says. Secondly, giving is an act of obedience and trust because god commands it god commands giving right for example malachi 3 9 to 8 to 10 is a very familiar passage to all of us it's very interesting there it, as malachi was prophesying and the nation the condition of israel israel was bringing offerings they would bring their bulls and bullocks and everything to offer to god but unfortunately they brought all the damaged animals all the animals that couldn't walk, that were blind, lame, they brought that to give to God. And Malachi rebukes them and says, you know what? You wouldn't even give this to your own governor. And you are bringing that for God? How could you do that? And then he rebukes them and he says, you have robbed God. So, This is Malachi 3. So, What are you saying? We've robbed God. He says, yeah. Because you failed to bring your tithes and your offerings to God. So you robbed God. Because you didn't bring your tithes and your offerings. And then he challenges them. He commands them. Bring the tithes in. And test me if I will not you know, bless you and so on. So giving is commanded by God. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over men will give into your bosom. So when you and I give, we are recognizing His Lordship over everything. Money is an important part of our life because we invest so much of our life to earn it. Many of us work 40, 50, 60 hours a week for us to receive that salary at the end of the month. And out of that, you're giving away. You're actually giving away a portion of your life, of your effort, your skill. You're giving it away to God. You're saying, Lord, You are Lord over my life as I give this to you. Secondly, He chose our trust in God as our provider. When I'm willing to let go of that money, I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you as my source. Yes, I may have a job and have earn all this money, but you are my source. I'm trusting you. I'm giving to you. And third, third thing is this, that giving is an act of sowing and releasing blessing to others. When we give, I am sowing and I am blessing other people. In the Epistle to Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Paul is uh, writing to the Corinthians in order to take up an, one of the reasons is in order to take up an offering from the Corinthian church to bless other believers who are going through a time of famine. So he writes to them, he's saying, "I'm sending Titus. I'm sending these people. They're going to come. So you better please lay aside some money so that there are no last-minute collections. You know, you keep some money aside so when they come, they can take up this offering." And then he, chapter 8 and chapter 9, he describes uh, what this offering is all about. He says, in those very well-known verses, He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he says, God loves, uh, uh, but do this not out of compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So he says, when you give this offering that we are going to take and help the other believers, other brothers there, do this cheerfully, don't do it out of compulsion or out of necessity. But do it out of the cheerfulness of your heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And then he gives him this promise. He says, but God, verse 8. But God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, will abound to every good work. So as you give to help other believers, God will make grace abound toward you. God will take care of your needs. So let's do that. Then he promises later on in verse 10, he says, You know, just as God gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower, God will bless the seeds that you're sowing and He will increase the fruits of your righteousness. So, as you're giving, you're doing two things you're blessing other brothers who are in other people who are in need, and also you're sowing seed that God will multiply back to your own life. So, We give to God as an act of worship. We give to God as an act of obedience and trust. We give to God, a gift to God and His people as an act of sowing and imparting blessing to other people. There are three kinds of gifts primarily, three kinds of giving primarily in the New Testament. That is that of tithes, offerings, and gifts. Or the Bible, some versions would use the word alms. But my son asked me, what is that word alms, (laughs) you know? Sorry, let's we'll use a modern word, gifts. <laughs> yeah. Something you give away. Just give away. Tithes is one-tenth of what you receive, of your income. Before you pay your taxes, you give your tithe, one-tenth of it. Now give it off the top, the first of it, the first of your income. Some say, oh, I'll wait till the end, something is left over, then I'll give my tithe. Nothing is there left or I can't give my tithe. Of the first fruits. Of the top. As soon as you get your income. 10% you give into the kingdom of God. And God is serious about the tithe. About his people giving tithe to his house. There's a practice in the Old Testament. They would bring the tithe to the the closest house that they were part of. The temple. They bring it in. Give it to the priest. And even the priests had to tithe. And one reference there is in Numbers 18 and uh, 26, even the priests tithe. Everybody tithes. The people tithe, they gave to the priest, the priest took a tenth of it and gave it back uh, to the house of God. So everybody tithes. Nobody's exempt. So we all give 10% of our income. Now, some people have this question you know, okay, do I bring it in cash? Or is writing a check okay? Or can I do online transfer? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think God really bothers about the mode in which you give. He looks at the hearts. Amen? For me, I have set it to automatic transfer, so every month I don't even click a button. It just goes from my account to the church account. My tithe goes. So you think, oh, that is not very religious. You haven't brought it into the church. See, so listen, it's going to the church account. Because <laughs> even if you bring it here, from here it goes to the Check up. so for me, this goes directly. You know, if you want to do, you can do that. I don't think the mode in which you give, whether it's cash or check, or you know, how many times you pray on it and run, run around the building and then put it in the offering, I don't think those things matter. I think God looks at the heart, the fact that you have given it to Him, amen. So, you do it the way is convenient to you, but the point is, ten one tenth of your income, what you receive, if somebody gives you a gift one tenth of it you just give give it to the house of God and then God promises these blessings if you read Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 to 10, you have the blessings first of all, it brings your covenant into force You know, a covenant God establishes between him and his people, when his people do their side of the covenant then that covenant comes into force but if I fail to do my side of the covenant the covenant is there but it's not in effect But when I give my tithe and when I go to my place of work, I'm coming in now as a covenant man and woman of God and my covenant is active in my place of work because I've obeyed God in giving Him the tithe. Second, God said, I will open the windows of heaven. I'll pour out on you such blessing, you won't have room enough to receive it. Meaning God is saying, listen, you give me one-tenth of your income and then I will bless you with more than what money can buy. And that's true for many of us. We honor God and then we've received such blessing in our lives more than what we could have bought ourselves. Amen? So I will open the windows and pour out such blessing. He also says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Meaning the enemy will no longer destroy and eat away and waste away what you're earning. There was a time in Israel's history when whatever they were earning was just being wasted away. You read about this in the book of Haggai. In Haggai chapter 1 and 2, the prophet Haggai is speaking to the people. He says, listen people, you go work hard, you bring your money and it's like you're putting it into a bag of holes. You put it in, you don't know where it goes. What's happening? The destroyer is taking away whatever you have. Then Haggai says, here's the problem. You've got your priorities mixed up. So here's the solution. First go and build my house. And if you will build my house. I will build yours. Amen. That's what he says. That's the message of the book of Haggai. God says the silver is mine. The gold is mine. See, all this is mine. You go up and build my house. I'll take care of your house. So. When we give into the house of God and give to the purposes of God, we are taking care of God's house. And God says, listen, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. It's no longer like working and bringing money and putting it in a bag of holes. You don't know where it's going. Nothing's left over. You're still in need. It's no longer like that. Because God will intervene in your life and mine. And he'll say, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And it releases material blessings. He says, people will call you blessed. People will call you a delightsome land because you've been obeying God. These are the blessings of the tithing. Now some people might say, you know, but tithing, this whole thing is from the Old Testament. Why are you talking about it now? Why should we in the New Testament practice it? And I'll give you three reasons why. You know, tithing, first of all, was not part of the Mosaic law exclusively. Tithing was practiced well before the law of Moses. The first man in the Bible, in fact, to tithe was Abraham. Who is the father of faith. Whom we are supposed to follow. Genesis 14 verse 20. After Abraham wins a battle. He takes one tenth of all the loot that he gathered. And he gives it to Melchizedek. Who represents the high priest. So he gives it first. Abraham tithed. Jacob tithed. Isaac tithed. One tenth they gave. So they practice tithing as an expression of their relationship with God. And not because of the law of Moses. The law of Moses was not yet given at that time. So understand that tithing really is an expression of covenant relationship. And it was part of the law of Moses, but it was practiced even before that. Some people say the tithing ended at the cross. Now, if you want to know if something has ended between the Testaments, then it should be explicitly stated that it is done away with. The New Testament explicitly states that the law of Moses was done away with, but it does not say that tithing was done away with doesn't say that anywhere in the new testament in fact jesus himself said in matthew 23 23 said yes you you need to you know tithe of everything and but do the more important things of mercy truth and justice do that but he did say you have to tithe and the last reason why i believe we as new Testament believers also tithe is because hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8 says just as melchizedek received tithes of abraham here in the new covenant jesus receives tithe from us So Jesus is a high priest in the same order of Melchizedek. And he says, Jesus receives tithe. So I firmly believe tithing is for us in the New Testament as well. Offering is anything we give over and above our tithe for the work of God. So you give beyond your tithe. You're giving your offering to serve the purposes of God. Gifts and alms are what you give to help the poor and the needy. Those those people. Brothers and sisters or people outside who are poor who don't have as much as we have. When we give to them, we're giving gifts. We're giving alms uh, and and we're just blessing one another with with the money that we give. So that's in addition to our tithes and offerings. This is a sacrifice we choose to make. What we must understand is that many of us can exercise this ministry of giving. Giving itself is a ministry. In Romans 12 Verses six through eight, Paul says, you know, each one of us have been gifted differently for different functions in the body, and he says, some of us, those who prophesy, let them prophesy in proportion to the faith; those who teach, let them uh, fulfill their teaching; those who lead, let them be diligent about their leadership; those who give with cheerfulness; those who show mercy with with compassion. I think it was show mercy. So there are different giftings in the body. One of them is a gift, the grace of giving. So some of us are really called to this ministry of giving. It obviously means that God has blessed us enough to give. But don't wait for, you know, for yourself to have a huge amount to start giving. Start giving what you have. Exercise this ministry of giving to whatever extent you can. Over and above what you need for yourself, you give. You bless others. And that's a ministry of giving. Before we close this morning, I want to answer some common questions um, that that surrounds this subject of financial stewardship. First question is, should the tithe be given to the local church? And in, in, in giving answers to each of these questions, there are about five of these questions, I'm sharing what we believe, what we're convinced about. And if you disagree, that's fine. It's between you and the Lord. So I'm not giving them as, you know, these are the rules or laws, but just sharing what I'm convinced about from the word of God. Number one, should i give the tithe to the local church yes we believe the tithe belongs to the local church that your tithe must come to the house of god because it's a pattern in the old testament they took it to the nearest storehouse that the temple the nearest one they took it and they gave it there for the work of the storehouse as people served in the temple there were needs there were things that needed to be done Priests had to be taken care of. So they gave to the storehouse. So we believe that the tithe comes to the storehouse. And uh, so that we could do the things that God has given here. And the church, the local church, serves you. Ministers to you. And then reaches out to the city and to the nation. Now if you choose to disagree, that's fine. No problem. Just argue about it with God. Number two. Is it alright to support other Christian ministries with your giving? Perfectly fine. Once you've given your tithes and your offerings to your local church. Anything more than that you want to give By all means, support other Christian ministries. Uh, People, uh, Lots of people doing great work around our nation. Feel free to give. Feel free to help other ministers. Paul the Apostle was a traveling minister. And churches on their own voluntarily gave to his ministry. uh, As he served them, uh, churches gave. Uh, The Lord Jesus himself was supported by the giving of people. uh, Especially the women who supported and gave into his ministry. So it's perfectly fine to do that. Number three... Should I give financially to help a brother or a sister in need? So suppose you see somebody else in the church or another a person that's in need. Uh, is it right to give to them? Yes, it is. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, Let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it's good to give to other brothers and sisters that you see in need. Give to them. But however, I, I must put out this warning, a couple of warnings here. What we have seen, especially, in, in, you know, over the years as a pastor in the church, and this happens not only in our city, but in churches all around the world, is that there are sometimes, unfortunately, there are people who take advantage of this in the local church. They go into churches, they, you know, go tell people, you know, I need money for this, I need money for that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they actually take money, you know, and well-meaning believers, so, yeah, he's my brother, she's my sister, I must give, they give, and, and then that money is gone forever. And uh, then they come to the pastor. Pastor, so-and-so is coming to our church. I gave this money. They're not giving it back. Poor pastors trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. I mean, we've had all strange cases from somebody lending cassette tapes that never came back. You remember the days of cassette tapes? I had problems then too, you know. <laughs> somebody lending cassette tapes and not coming back. They came to the pastor to resolve the situation. All kinds of weird things. So we, at some point, we decided that If you want to give to another brother, yes, give, but the risk is yours. Don't come to the pastors and say, sort this out. I gave them money, they wanted to borrow, no, they're not returning. Yes, I would approach here's how I would approach any of this. You know, first of all, when I when I give to another brother or sister, I, I, I must see that it's a genuine need. If it's because they are lazy, I will not give. That means they're not working hard. I will not give. Second, if it's because of their mismanagement, I will not give. Because what they need is not your offering. What they need is some sense on how to manage things. So that's how I do it. Sometimes I see somebody, I mean, they're in genuine need. Okay, I will give. Bless them. But if I see these kinds of things, I will usually say no. Why? Because there's something more important. You need to learn to work hard or you need to learn to manage what you have correctly. Get some help. That's better than just getting some money in and mismanaging that as well. Right? So, yes, we must help one another. But please be careful in how you do this. Don't, uh, don't mismanage. Don't, don't be exploited and so on. Number four. How can I guard myself from being financially manipulated and exploited by preachers? Now, this is a big thing in Christian ministry. Preachers all over the world. Uh, stand up and exploit people. I mean, when we were living in the U.S., it was fun watching how fundraising happens. Uh, and this is from very well-respected, nice, famous ministers and preachers and healing evangelists. Every month, I would get this envelope coming in, and I would be interested to see what's the new what's the new technique. You know, one month it'll be it'll come in with a little packet of seeds. Sow your seed. You know, oh, okay. So <laughs> another month it'll come in with a one penny. Attached to the envelope, so your whatever your dime, and God will bless it, you know. And but but when they say dime, they mean thousands of dollars, you know. (laughs) And uh, sometimes a letter will come from this great healing evangelist, he will say, You know, this is my 53rd birthday, and after all these years of serving the Lord, our ministry is in great debt. But next paragraph, God has anointed me to give you financial breakthrough, so please send me your 53 dollars. And I'm thinking, Look, he is in debt. And he wants, he claims to have an anointing to, for financial breakthrough. And he's telling, he can't help himself, but he's ready to help somebody else. Doesn't make sense, you know. So all these weird things I've seen in the U.S. and people raising. One of the most funny things was, I have shared this before with you. Amy and I were living in Chicago at that time. And um, uh, we went to this church, big, uh, nice charismatic church. A beautiful campus, a nice, all of that. Uh, that particular Sunday, there was this prophet of God. Um, he came, he was singing beautifully, just singing spontaneous, wonderful prophetic ministry. Uh, uh, and then he got into preaching the word. He was talking about Elijah and the woman of Zarephath and all of that. And then he came towards the end of the message. And this is how it all began. He said, the Lord is telling me there are five people who must give, I don't know what the amount was. I think it was $10,000. Stand up. Immediately oh no, man. No. Because the moment I see preachers doing all this, I said, this is not right. So maybe like two, three people stood up, you know, just struggling. I said, man, that must be a real stretch for them, you know. <laughs> then he quickly came down to the amount. He said, The Lord is telling me that 10 people have got to give, you know, another amount $2,500 or something. Then he came down to $1,000. Then he came down to 500 And he came down to 250 And he came down to 100 And finally, he came down to 50 And then 10 And then he came down to $1. The whole church is standing. I'm on the second row, and I'm the only one sitting. He's looking at me, one dollar. And I said, one dollar or no dollar, I am not giving. I mean, this is a great man, great service, everybody is standing. I'm on the second row, I'm the only one sitting. I said, I will not give. I will not give. One dollar? I will not give. Because for me, giving is an act of worship between me and God. I'm not going to let any person, any preacher, any prophet tell me what I ought to do. He had to end the service. <laughs> but I didn't stand up. And I didn't give. Not even one dollar. Because I'm not going to let any preacher manipulate anybody to give. Amen? Now you hear preachers, they say, offering them, take out the biggest dollar you have, biggest amount, best offering gift. Why should he say that? I know what I have to give. I think it's wrong for preachers to stand up and coerce people into giving and manipulate people into giving. I think it's absolutely wrong. And if I sit in that offering, that's the time I will close my wallet and not give. The moment he starts talking like this, that's the time I won't give. I don't care how anointed, how great he is, that's the time I won't give. Because... My giving is my act of worship to God. I don't want to waste my money to satisfy some preacher's ego or whatever it is. Amen? It's between me and God. I don't care. So you you must be careful. Don't let preachers and so-called prophets and apostles, whatever, in the name of ministry, in the name of great anointing, manipulate and control you and dictate what you give to God. Here's three things that I do to protect myself. One, I plan my giving. So I know what I'm going to give every month. In fact, I don't even bother about my tithe. Because every month it automatically just goes for my account. I know I'm tithing. It's gone. Then over and above that, I know what I'm going to give. So, so if suddenly some preacher says, come and give. Give your best. I say, relax, man. I already know what i am done. <laughs> What's all this thing going on? Give your best. I know what I'm giving, and it's not just one-time thing. It's a consistent. It's a way of life. It's my lifestyle to give, and it's all planned. I know what I'm giving every month. Secondly, I'm led by the Spirit, meaning I do have a plan on what I give, but there may be those moments when the Holy Spirit wants me to do something above and more than what I've planned. Maybe somebody's in need, and, and God says, you know, I want you to give to that need. So I give. Now, one thing I know, I am not God, and I'm not obligated to meet everybody's need, because I cannot. Neither are you, because we're not God. But to those people that God prompts you and says, you do something for him or her, that's when you give. But if God doesn't prompt, you don't have to. You're not not God. You're not here to meet everybody's need. Amen? So, be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you whom to give and whom not to give, because maybe somebody else is going to take care of them, and you're supposed to take care of somebody else. So, just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't let any preacher dictate that to you and lastly uh, decide never to give out of compulsion or false promises if the preacher says you give today in this offering and god will give you double portion tomorrow that's the time not to give because it's a false promise he'll take the money go as tomorrow nothing comes what'll happen It's between you and God. It is God who is going to bless you. Not the preacher. So, you decide. You will never give out of compulsion or manipulation. I will not give. You know, even people bring nice brochures, this, that and all. Oh, we need this, we need this. Oh, so relax. Keep it here. Bring your brochure, leave it here. Let me see what I have sense in my spirit. If I feel I have to give, I'll give. Otherwise, I'm not obligated to give to every need. I'm not God. It's God who does all this. What I have to do is what God speaks to me about a need. And most important, never give out a compulsion or uh, manipulation. Don't do that. Last question. And a few more points before we close. Is it right, and again, many of us Christians ask this, is it right to save and invest money in property, uh, financial instruments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, etc., or other assets in in order to gain Profitable returns. I mean, is it right to do that? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but lay it up in heaven. Cure on earth, moth, rust, and all of that corrupt and steel, nothing happens in heaven. So is it right for me to save? Is it right for me to buy property? Because anyway, there's mansions up in heaven. Now, here's what I'm convinced about. You're welcome to have a different uh, opinion on this. But I believe, number one, it's right to save and keep money aside for your own life and your future. Because Proverbs also says, Proverbs 6 says, go to the ant, learn a lesson from the ant. The ant gathers up food in summer for the winter. So the same Bible that says, don't lay up anything also says, learn from the ant. So I believe it's right to do that. In fact, you need to do that if you're going to live on this earth. But your trust is not in those things. Your trust is not in your property, it is not in your investments, it's not in whatever you've done. Your trust is always God is the source of my total supply. Secondly, you know, people quote from the Old Testament where there are a number of scriptures that warn against giving money out in usury. It says, you know, don't give it out that way. Uh, so, how can we give money out, you know, to earn interest or to invest it in certain things? Uh, well, you need to understand what usury meant in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, usury simply meant an uh, unlawful or an exorbitant, exorbitant interest, meaning you are using money to take advantage of a person in need and to extract, exploit the situation. That's usury. So you don't do that. But is it right to invest so that you could uh, make profit? I believe it so. Because if you look at the parable of the talents in Luke 19, Jesus rebukes them. He says, You know, he gives them talents. And what does he do? He, he, he expects them to invest it in the system in order to gain a multiplied return. So how do you invest? You've got to do some business, do something in the system. Get a, a, a multiplied return. One back comes with ten times as much. One, by, one person comes with five times as much. One person says, I didn't do anything. And Jesus tells him. He says Luke 19, and uh, in verse 23, he says this. He says, why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? At least four percent. At least little interest, whatever. Some interest you get back. If you can't do the eighteen percent or you can't do the fifteen or at least four percent, some something you do. Get it back with some interest. So I believe it's right. You're welcome to maintain your own conviction this. In closing, some things we have to be careful of about money. Finances is beware of the love of money and the greed for money. It is a dangerous thing like any other area. Uh, be careful of it. Be careful of self-indulgence and selfishness. God's blessed to Sure, you enjoy, but look outward. Look at how we can be a blessing to others. Be careful of pride sometimes. More wealth, more money, if you're proud, you know, I've achieved this, I've got that, I'm more powerful. Be careful of that. Jesus, uh, Paul warns us in First Timothy. And also be careful of legalism. You know, don't make giving something legalistic. Make it a, an act of worship to God. Will I get to heaven if I don't tithe? I think you will get to heaven. You will yeah, get to heaven because you go to, you're saved back because of the cross, not because of your tithe. Amen? But why do you tithe? because you love God you want to obey him you want to honor him so you do that not because you want to make it to heaven but because you love God amen so don't make uh, giving a legalistic thing do it out of your heart let's stand to our feet please so we could just take a few moments to worship God I believe our God is a God of miracles the Bible is full of financial miracles There's a widow woman in debt. Her husband had died, and the creditors have come to collect the money, and all she had was a jar of oil. But God took that one jar of oil and canceled all her debt and took care of her entire future. Peter had toiled all night, and he and his friends they'd not caught anything. But Jesus comes on the scene. He says, "Put out your net into the sea," and there's a great catch. He's a God of miracles. He works miracles in the realm of our finances he can supernaturally cancel debt he can supernaturally take your five loaves and two fishes and meet needs he does that he still does miracles today so as you stand here would you first of all make a covenant with God saying God I want to honor you with my finances with what you've given me I want to honor you I want to do my tithes, my offerings and my gifts lead me in this I want to do it cheerfully. I want to do it out of my heart. And some this morning may be standing here. You need a job. You need God to provide a job. You may need God to intervene in circumstances on your property. Maybe there are legal cases going on and you need God to intervene. Maybe there are debts that you need to see canceled. and You need God's grace to see that happen. Whatever it might be. When you take this time to pray, and just believe God for those things to happen. And as you honor God with your money, you're giving God an opportunity to do these things. It's between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.